Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And, uh, this is the seventh Sunday after Easter, and uh, liturgically, this is really officially the last day you can eat peeps. Um, and, um, and, you know, peeps are an interesting thing seven Sundays in, um, as one who loves them. They um, get hard, and the, the sugar crystallizes. So not only are they a delicacy, because you have peeps still at this time, they're, they're a delicacy, but they also can be used as a weapon. So, um, but uh, um, that wasn't that funny. But anyway, um, here we go. Our gospel reading today is a very powerful one. It opens up with Jesus prayed for his disciples. Here we are in the middle of the high priestly prayer, and this begins to be the lens by which we understand everything by which Jesus is praying at this point. And really, um, the lens by which we understand um, how and why the church has survived for the last 2,000 years. I mean, when you think about history and the church the last 2,000 years, it is completely a miracle. As we have survived um, empires and nations, we've survived severe persecution and continue to survive persecution under Islam, uh, communism, atheism, secularism, all sorts of isms. I mean, the church itself, I mean, it's a miracle it survived even because of its own botches, you know? I mean, um, uh, ripped asunder by heresy and schism, false teachers, uh, corrupt clergy, lethargic laity. I mean, it is a miracle the church's survival. It's a total and complete miracle of God. Yet the reason why the church has survived all of this is that the church is Jesus's work, never ours. Jesus prayed for his disciples. This is his work. We comprise it, but we don't construct it or build it. Even the church's unity and glory is not our work. It is the work of Jesus and his doing alone. Jesus works through us, but it's his work. Think about it. The church, all of us, we have been purchased by his shed blood. You and I have been washed by his promises given to us in baptism. You and I are nourished by his body and blood at this table. And you and I leave this place clothed in his righteousness alone. It's his work. And so we see Jesus' prayer here. He prays for three things that he's going to do in his church. The first thing he's going to do is, is he's going to create unity in it. And that unity is for a very specific purpose. The second thing that happens in this prayer is that we partake in his glory. We partake in his glory. That's an amazing thing. And then the third thing that he prays in this prayer is that someday we shall see that glory. That's very exciting and great news. But we see that it's his work. I remember one time I was talking with someone and I was inviting them to church And uh, they said, the lady said, you know, I will never join church, join a church. I was like, really? Well, how come? And she goes, well, because the church is filled with hypocrites. To which I said, come on now. There's always room for one more. And, um, (laughs) you know, join us. And so, but uh, um, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I mean, this is, this is the miracle of the church. The church is filled with nothing but sinners. 
Whenever somebody comes and is like, Reverend, I left my glasses at church. Can I go check? I'm like, if we're doing our job, they're probably not there. They were probably stolen. I mean, they were gripped because the place is loaded with sinners. That was supposed to be funny too. But anyway, I know none of you would take somebody's glasses, but someone else. But uh, anyway, um, but, uh, but, but the point is, is that because it's filled with sinners, it so often goes off a track. You know, it goes off a track. And unfortunately... This happens all the time. You know, the Episcopal Church, our big problem is we become institutional. Institutional. I mean, I hear all the time, how is this going to make more Episcopalians? Who cares? What we want to make is Christians. You know, we become institutional. Other churches become self-protective and circle the wagons. Other churches become holy rollers, you know what I mean? And they're the exclusive club that only has dinner with Jesus. You know, what happens is, is that because we're loaded with sinners, we become, becomes about us. And we see things in terms of us and them. You know, us and them. And we like to draw lines and build up walls as opposed to breaking them down with the gospel, which is the power of God for the whole world unto salvation. We forget to see the world. While not yet, it's already been reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. We herald not what God might do, but what he's already done in reconciling the world to Jesus. And this, essentially here, Jesus prays for his disciples to have unity. And this is the meaning of unity here. It's not a vague, we all just agree and we're all just hanging out, kind of getting along unity. The unity, and this is a miracle when it happens, and this is why it's God's work. Because we tend to botch it all up. But that we as Christians would live in the love God has for us in sending his son to save us. Jesus prays for this unity, the gospel, so that the world would see and hear this one-way love of God to us. And truly believe that the Father has sent the Son for the sake of and salvation of the world. That's what the unity of the church is about. One of my favorite quotes by Dietrich Bonhoeffer has nothing to do with cheap grace. It's this one. The church is her true self only when she exists for humanity. And as embassies of Christ, we exist as ambassadors for Christ to hail that message of reconciliation to the world. And this is my first point. The church exists for the benefit and the blessing of the world. And Jesus prays for the church's unity. His work, not because it is our being together that's the blessing, but that our unity based on the proclamation of the gospel and what Jesus has done, that manifests God's love to the world in Christ so that the whole world would be saved through him. That's our purpose. That's what creates unity. So you see then Jesus continues to pray. And he talks now about glory. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Wow. I have given past tense to them. This last Thursday, we celebrated Jesus' ascension into heaven, 40 days after the resurrection. The withdrawal of his visible presence, but not actual presence, 
Believe me, he is here in this church, alive and well. Yet in ascending to the right hand of the Father, Jesus has been glorified. Therefore, glorifying all of humanity already. Because like St. Paul points out in Romans, the first Adam, the Adam in Genesis, embodied all of humanity. And in that humanity, embodiment of all humanity, all of humanity because of him sinned and has been subject to death. Yet Jesus, the second Adam, embodies all of humanity as well. And in his body, this second Adam, which you are in by virtue of your baptism, this humanity has been glorified and is at the right hand of the Father right now. And so we partake in that glory right now. And it is this glory that he shares with you as a Christian. You are glorified in him. And you possess a share of that glory. And we're going to talk about that down payment of that glory next week on Pentecost. Because the down payment of that glory is the Holy Spirit which dwells within you. And was given to you at your baptism. Now, if you're like me, things may appear anything but glorious at the moment in your life. The church from time to time, she gets distracted by other things. And she doesn't look terribly glorious in the world. Doesn't look it. And sometimes in our lives, the same thing occurs. You know, things may not look that glorious in your life even right now. But this is my second point. It's not about seeing. It's about hearing and believing. Union with Jesus. Jesus prays that in this unity, we might share in his glory. And that too, and and this too is Jesus' work. It's not your work, it's Jesus' work. God looks at us. And hear me now, God looks at you and sees the beauty. He sees the radiance of Christ and his perfection given to a bride. I mean, when you read this prayer, this prayer is the prayer of a husband, a bridegroom for his bride. The church doesn't need makeup. The church doesn't need gimmicks. The church doesn't need trends. The church doesn't need thousand dollar sneakers although she thinks she does. She is. You are beautiful to God because you are clothed in Christ. Your sins, your blemishes, though you may not feel very glorious, you are covered and you are forgiven by Jesus. And you, dear Christian, because God has said so, Partake in his glory now. Finally, in our reading, Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The pulpit of Calvary Church right here. Come up and take a look at it sometime. But it was inspired by 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7, when St. Paul writes, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, 
so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And if you look closely around this pulpit, you'll see the various glorious promises of God. They're carved in the center of what these earthen vessels are. They're carved in the center. The idea here is earthen vessels. Is that while the glory of God, the glory of God is with us now, in this age, it doesn't look all that glorious. The cross where Jesus died. St. Paul says that is the glory of God. The glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. But in this age, in an earthen vessel, it is a crucified rabbi. St. Paul goes on to write, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. That's the glory of God, the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That's coming. So while we carry that glory, the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus is also revealed because we proclaim it and we herald it. It's the basis of our unity. And the resurrection, though, and the ascension assure us that what we now see and is reflected in earthen vessels will soon reveal all of its glory, bathed in the light of Jesus. And never forget that. In this life, in this life, there are certain things that can be seen only under special lights. You know, maybe it's a UV light. Similarly, your sufferings and your hardships, you may not get an answer as to why they're happening. You know, we may not get an answer as to why things are happening in the Middle East or other parts of the world. What we see. But it will make sense the end of the age. It will make sense when it is held under the glory of the light of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is my third point. Jesus' desire in this prayer is that eventually we will see what we now believe, that the glory that is now ours by faith in him would one day be seen in all its glory. That, that is Jesus' desire. But until then, as we hear in the book of Revelation, the church says, come. Jesus says, come. And he invites all of us to drink freely of that spirit, spirited water of life. He invites us all to come around this altar and receive the body and the blood He invites us all to come and be a part of that relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and be refreshed and renewed by him, who indeed has, is, and will all make all things new. Jesus prays for his church. Jesus prays for you. And never, ever forget it. Whatever happens in your life, you are safely held in that prayer forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.